Hey, what's up, guys? This is Josh again. Good morning. Uh, if it's morning when you're listening or whenever you're listening, I'm just waking up. And I want to talk to you today <clears throat> about something different than what I planned on talking about. We were going to go over epigenetics in this episode, but I decided that it might be best to continue with this biochemistry. We just got done with uh, the cell membrane. Um, and... Uh, Actually, I think we got done with protein sorting. So next up, we're going to be talking about the extracellular matrix. So after we make all these proteins, they have to go somewhere. And usually, that is extracellularly. So we're going to be talking about what extracellularly looks like, and that's going to be your extracellular matrix. So let's get into it, okay? So first, I want to talk to you about um, uh, the components of an extracellular matrix, but for, before I do that, I want to sort of orient you, okay? So if you remember that uh, uh, bilayered membrane at the, the plasma membrane, right? Well, there's going to be basically just outside of that bilayered membrane, extracellularly, is where the extracellular matrix is. And it has a, a bunch of different components. I'm going to name them for you right now so you have a general idea. And then we're going to go into specifics of each, okay? So there's collagen, there's elastin, there's glycoproteins, there's fibronectin, and then there's proteoglycans, okay? So let's, uh, let's just start with um, the ones that are a little bit easier to describe, and then we'll get into collagen and elastin, okay? So glycoproteins are exactly what they sound. They are... Uh, proteins with a ton of carb, uh, carbohydrates attached to them or sugars, right? And this is the opposite of proteoglycans, right? So the one way to remember this is like the base of that word is proteins. So it's proteins attached to a sugar group. So it's mostly protein content on a carbohydrate, whereas proteo is attached to glycans, right? So these are Basically, proteoglycans are heavy sugar or carbohydrate groups with a few proteins attached to them. What these, what these do, right, is these are going to attach uh, basically the cells to components of the extracellular matrix, right? So, like, if you remember, I was talking about these um, fatty acid anchors of proteins, right? Well, these proteins will be in the uh, plasma membrane. And then basically using uh, long sugar chains attached to the other end of those proteins, those will go out into the extracellular matrix and attach to things like collagen or um, uh, mostly collagen. So that's, that's what I want you to take away. There's a, there's a big one that you should remember. It's called laminin. This is an example of a glycoprotein, okay? So for fibronectin, fibronectin is a really interesting one. We haven't really talked about this yet because it's also going to be brought up again later on in blood pathology. But this is a um, basically a type of protein that can be either soluble or insoluble. When it's soluble, it's going to assist in blood clotting, which is the kind we're going to talk about later on. But when it's insoluble, it's involved in linking cell surface integrins, the extracellular matrix. So Let's talk about what an integrin is. Integrins are basically these um, uh, proteins that go from that are across the uh, plasma membrane, and they attach what's inside the cytosol the, the, to what's outside of the cytosol, uh, what's outside of the cell. So I want you to imagine. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but from one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about microfilaments. 
And the interesting thing about microfilaments is it's like a rope, right? If two people hold on to each end of the rope, Sorry, drinking some coffee there. If two people end uh, grab onto each end of the rope and then lean outwards, that rope is going to become extra taut, right? So, microfilaments you are sort of that rope in this scenario. And what the microfilaments are doing, they're attached uh, to the internal surface um, of our cell, and then they're anchored on an integrin, and that integrin is then going to be anchored uh, onto um, basically. Um, like fibronectin, which is then going to later be anchored onto collagen, right? So it's like that serves as the anchoring port and it gives the cell its um, tensile strength. So that's sort of the way I want you to picture what that is. So fibronectin, when it's an insoluble monomer, is involved in linking cell surface integrins, which act as the anchor for microfilaments, right, to the extracellular matrix, right? Okay, so... Um, that's sort of uh, what fibronectin does um, in its insoluble form. In the soluble form, what it can do is it can assist in clotting, and then it also can uh, make a biofilm formation uh, via cell adhesion to basement membranes. All right, so like we haven't talked too much about a basement membrane yet, but when a cell is oriented based uh, on different types of collagen, it, it helps orient that cell, right? Because there's an apex of the cell. That's where the cell is going to be performing in the majority of its functions. And then at the base of that cell, that's going to will be where it's like set up, pinned in place. That's going to be where the basement membrane is at the base, okay? So next up, I want to talk about proteoglycans. We've talked about glycoproteins. We've talked about fibronectin so far. Let's talk about proteoglycans, okay? So proteoglycans has uh, the base of that word is glycans, so it's sugars, right? And then there's proteins attached to these. And the reason why these are really interesting is because they have a huge negative charge. And I don't know if you know much about this, but with a lot of negative charge, this is going to attract a lot of water, right? And these are going to basically be, uh, and sugar attracts water, right? So it basically creates this like sponge-like substance. And I don't know if you've ever heard of hyaluronic acid, but this can actually be injected into joints. There's like some type of people, some, some, uh, uh, medical professionals who will inject these into uh, joints and it'll increase supposedly the uh, sponge-like or um, co compression uh, of the uh, compression functions of your knee. That's hyaluronic acid, which is a type of proteoglycan. It has a high negative charge due to uh, a process called sulfation. But I'm just going to give you some example uh, examples of ones to remember that are high yield. But basically, chondro, uh, chondroitin sulfate, dermatin sulfate, keratin sulfate, heparin sulfate, and then finally hyaluronic acid. These are the high yield ones to remember on exam day when you're get, when you're looking for answers and they're talking about these things. You should be thinking about proteoglycans, and it's going to be related to that negative charge. That's what the question is going to end up coming down to. Okay, so next up what I want to talk about is collagen. So collagen is a big one. This is a huge topic. This is super high yield. You're going to see this on exam day. Um, and it's usually a question regarding its synthesis. And the synthesis of this is pretty complicated. Um, I implore you to go online and actually um, uh, look at diagrams of how this works. But I'm going to try to go through it 
on this podcast. It's it's going to be a longer explanation. This is going to be the most high yield of the entire podcast. You're going to get questions on this, okay? So collagen synthesis um, occurs inside fibroblasts, which are a type of cell. These cells are big-time producers of your extracellular matrix. They make all those other types of components, and then they also make collagen, and um, we're going to talk about collagen right now, okay? So, so collagen formation happens inside of the fibroblast, right? So I don't know if you remember this, but um, from when we were talking about protein sorting, if, we were, if you remember protein sorting in the endoplasmic reticulum, that N-terminal sequence is going to get recognized by an SRP, right? And that um, SRP is going to basically um, create a transposon so that as the um, uh, amino acid polypeptide chain is created, that initial N-terminus sequence that comes out is going to be this alpha helix that's negatively charged and it's going to force it into the ER lumen, right? And that is where the rest of the polypeptide is then going to be made in the ER lumen, okay? So the same thing happens uh, for proteins that are going to get excreted, right? This is, this is what happens with collagen. So the first part of collagen, this pre-pro-collagen alpha chain, is formed when the mRNA for collagen is be, uh, basically attached to this uh, ribosome that's bound to the rough endoplasmic reticulum. It, its first bit of its sequence is this hydrophobic alpha helix, right? An alpha helix um, is translocated across the ER into the ER lumen, and then the rest of the chain is formed. It's formed in a special way. It's this repeating tripeptide. It's glycine followed by proline, followed by lysine, okay? Glycine, proline, lysine, and then glycine, proline, lysine. And this is really interesting. This tripeptide creates this thing called an alpha chain, okay? So here's the interesting part, okay? The alpha chain is continually um, produced into the ER lumen, but the alpha helix, that hydrophobic part, that first part that just allows the SRP signal to recognize it and then translocate it across the lumen, that alpha helix gets cleaved off, okay? And what you're left with is a thing called pro-collagen alpha chain, okay? So now you've produced your protein. And if you remember, you can also do post-translational modifications. One of those is called hydroxylation. And this is actually unique to collagen. These are the only places you're gonna find amino acids. Um, these specific amino acids that have this unique post-translational modification. Okay, so using lysyl hydroxylase, which requires vitamin C as a cofactor. This is high yield. Vitamin C is a cofactor it's going to hydroxylate lysine and proline into hydroxylysine and hydroxyproline. And this is really interesting because when you lack vitamin C, you get a disease called scurvy. And scurvy presents with swollen gums, it can present with anemia, but really the key takeaway here is it's gonna have poor wound healing as well. And you're gonna see this classically in people who are stuck at sea for a long time or poor diets. But one thing that you'll see, especially um, on question stems, is people who have this thing called the tea and toast diet. All they drink is tea and all they eat is toast. They don't get any vitamin C. And then all of a sudden they're appearing with bruises. They have anemia on their blood labs and you're gonna diagnose them with scurvy. So this is actually a high yield thing. You'll see this on exam day. So there's also another disease, which is when you have, uh, rather than not having the cofactor for um, these hydroxylases, you actually have a deficiency in them. And this leads to a disease called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, if you have never heard of this, is actually super interesting. It's people who can like basically like 
They're, they're double jointed. They have super stretchy skin. They have weak vessel walls, right? Just like, so when connective tissue isn't properly made, right? You're gonna be able to really pull your skin off and uh, like, like it's gonna be really like not stuck very well to the actual under, underlying um, connective tissue. And then also you'll have joints, like uh, all your, all your uh, cartilage won't be very good. And then you also will have weak vessel walls because your vessel walls are made out of connective tissue as well. And these people have an increased risk of aneurysm and then subsequent death. And this is, really, uh, this is a really interesting disease that you'll, you, if you haven't heard about, you'll learn about. But this is because they, are, they have a deficiency in lysyl hydroxylase. That's the most common cause of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is they have a deficiency in lysyl hydroxylase. Okay, so now we've, uh, I want to get back to the um, uh, synthesis, okay? So now we've hydroxylated this pro-collagen alpha chain, okay? We've hydroxylated the pro-collagen alpha chain. Well, you can also do another post-translational modification. I'm sure you remember this. It's called glycosylation. And what you're going to do is these hydroxylysines are going to get glycosylated. We're still in the endoplasmic reticulum at this point, okay? So next up, the uh, alpha chains are now hydroxylated, they're glycosylated, and when you have a lot of hydroxyl groups and glycosyl groups, you're gonna have a lot of opportunities for binding. What's gonna happen is you're gonna create this pro-collagen alpha chain trimer. Three different alpha chains are gonna come together and form a trimer. And then once this happens, they get moved from the rough endoplasmic reticulum to the Golgi via COP2, like we talked about, and then they get excreted or exocytosed from the fibroblast. So now it's been exocytosed, right? It's outside of the fibroblast. And I wanna just point your attention to something, okay? This is pro-collagen. It's a pro-protein, which usually when a, a protein is a pro-protein, what that is referring to is that you need to actually cleave it. It's another type of post-translational modification. It has to be cleaved in order to actually be functional. And that's exactly what happens here. So what happens is these uh, propeptides or pro-collagen gets cleaved at their ends, and this turns it from a soluble to an insoluble type of collagen, right? And what's interesting about this is that once you cleave it, it becomes insoluble, right? So it, it's gonna be stuck in place, and now it's referred to as tropocollagen. So now you have this insoluble tropocollagen. These are alpha um, trimers of collagen stuck in place and what you're going to do is there's going to be a ton of them but they're not all linked together right you have a bunch of basically like sticks lying on top of each other but you can just pull them off there's no actual stability so what you do is then using this um, enzyme called lysyl oxidase right this is different than lysyl hydroxylase this is lysyl oxidase you're going to cross-link these hydroxylysine uh, components on the um, uh, tropocollagen, and this is going to form your final uh, collagen fibril, okay? And this um, lysyl oxidases, lysyl oxidases require copper as a cofactor. So you can imagine that people who have copper deficiencies are not going to be able to cross-link, and they're going to they're going to have like a strong structure, but it's going to be super brittle. Um, it'll be it'll break. It'll have no actual um, like strength, I guess, uh, under under pressure, and this is actually what re what results in a disease called Menke's disease, Menke's disease, and this presents like a um, like a copper deficiency, but it's actually um, a disease that's we haven't learned about this yet, but it's called an X-linked disease. It's X-linked. It's linked 
to a gene mutation on the X chromosome, and it's specific to an ATP7A gene mutation. And this is um, basically when we absorb copper through our um, GI tract, it's uh, an ATP-dependent copper efflux protein is what uh, basically absorbs it. And then this disease, you're unable to actually get it out of those enterocytes. They just remain there um, uh, basically bound. So, you ha so it presents like a copper deficiency. And when you have a copper deficiency, you'll have a bunch of uh, neuro, um, uh, you know, neuro issues. And we'll talk about this at a later point, uh, especially once we get into uh, neuro on a later podcast. But the thing I want you to remember is in a question stem, you should start suspecting a copper deficiency when you, when you see things like brittle hair that has this like weird color to it. It's like almost a silvery color to it. And then they also presenting with neurodegeneration um, and neurosymptoms like seizures and failure to thrive. So this is going to be brittle hair plus neurosymptoms equals Menke's disease is what you should start thinking. And this is an X-linked disease. But anyways, assuming they don't have this disease, which most people don't, you're gonna you're gonna finally have these collagen fibrils cross-linked, right? And this is gonna be the final um, like structure of collagen that forms this like really strong triple helix and this is um, this final structure when it starts interacting with other proteins these monomer proteins are going to form basically their tertiary structures and then when it starts interacting with other tertiary structures it's in its final quaternary protein structure state okay so that was a lot <clears throat> and if i was uh in your position i'd probably be asking like okay this is insane this is too much to even know. So let's try to break this down into its basic components so that it's easy to remember, okay? So let's, let's all, all um, processes start as mRNA, right? And this is being exocytose. We know that it's going to be made into the ER lumen, all right? And we know how um, uh, ER lumen um, we know the, the transport, we know the basics that there's going to be an SRP and it's going to be um, transposed across from the cytosol into the ER lumen. Okay, and we know that pre-procollagen is basically just that first bit. That's what it's describing. We know that pre-procollagen is just basically that alpha, alpha um, uh, helix is getting um, made and then transposed across the ER lumen so that the rest of this pro-collagen can be made, okay? So once that happens, what we need to remember is that basically what's going on is you have this peptide. It needs to be um, post-translationally modified. Once it's post-translationally modified, it's then going to be secreted. And then once it's secreted, it's going to be um, cleaved into its tropocollagen form. And then from its tropocollagen form, it'll interact with other tropocollagen to form the final cross-link formation, which is the collagen fibril, okay? So let's go back through that, okay? It's going from pre-procollagen to pro-collagen. Then it's pro-collagen that's been post-translationally modified. It then gets secreted. And then once it's secreted, it gets cleaved at the N-terminal and the C-terminal, creating tropocollagen and tropocollagen then gets cross-linked into its final collagen fibrils, okay? There's two enzymes that we need to remember. There's the, uh, the um, uh, hydroxylases and the oxidases. And the hydroxylases require vitamin C. The oxidases require copper, right? And the oxidase is happening um, 
outside of the, of the fibroblast, whereas the hydroxylase happens inside of the fibroblast, okay, right? So these are the things that you need to remember. If, if you break it down uh, like that, it's a little bit more manageable than trying to remember each and every step. But if you break it down, eventually you'll be able to run through this whole process without any issue. On, on exam day, the big thing that they're going to ask is it's going to be like, you have tropocollagen, what happens? So what, what is the next step in this process? It literally will be asking you about the collagen synthesis. These are easy points. You can guarantee there'll be a question on uh, exam day about this. So you need to go back through and make sure that you can at least draw out each mechanism and how, that, and how they work, okay? So let's go on to uh, the next part of this, which is the different types of collagen, right? So this is the interesting part. Depending on where you're at, collagen makes up like most things in our body. We have five types. We have type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4, and type 5 collagen. So this is like a really interesting thing, okay? So type 1, 1 is bone, B-O-N-E, 1, O-N-E. So type 1 is going to make up your bone. That's like what's going to be a part of your um, bone, your tendons, your fascia. It's found in your teeth uh, via the dentin. It's in the cornea. It's in the skin. But the real big thing that I want you to remember is that it's, it makes up like the stuff attached to bone and it makes up bone itself. Type 2, 2, cartilage, cartilage. So cartilage, including hyaline and like a few other parts, but like the cartilage of your vertebral discs, this is all made up of type 2 collagen. It's very spongy and, it's, and it absorbs uh, a lot of shock, okay? So type 3 makes up your retic, retric, retricular fibers. These are your reticular. This is a web-like fiber matrix, uh, aka reticulin, and it's made up of type 3 collagen, okay? So this is going to make up like your granulation tissue. When you get a scab, this is the majority of that scab is going to be made out of type 3 collagen, and that's the high yield thing here. The other thing I want you to remember is like a scab is very vascular, right? So blood vessels are going to be made up of a ton of different type 3 um, uh, collagen fibers. And finally, well not finally, but type 4 collagen, this is going to be your basement membrane. Type 4 is sounds like the floor, right? 4 floor. And type 4 makes up the floor of the cell or the basement membrane. These are going to be especially um, you know, prevalent where there's a, a, a lot of cells with important functions at their apex, right? So the kidneys, we haven't learned about this yet, but like at the, ver at the apex is where the majority of like the absorption and and uh, whatnot is going on so you're gonna have a lot of basement membranes so in type 4 you're gonna have um, basement membranes the floor and there's actually some really interesting pathologies uh, related to each of these types of uh, collagens I'm gonna try not to get into them in this episode well okay let's get into them why not so type 1 collagen has this disease called uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. And the key with this, recognizing this on exam day, is the um, patient is gonna have blue sclera. And they're gonna potentially be deaf, but they'll have tons of broken bones all over their body. They're gonna end up being deformed from a very young age because of this. This is known as brittle bone disease, but it's also called uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. We haven't gone into, ge into genetics yet, which is why I was hesitant to go over this, but this is an autosomal dominant uh, 
um, uh, disease. So like if uh, you inherit a, a mutated gene of this, you're going to have osteogenesis imperfecta. And then uh, in type one, so that's type one collagen, okay? Um, for uh, type three, this is another type of, so Ehlers-Danlos, there's, there's several different types of diseases where Ehlers-Danlos is um, defective, but Ehlers-Danlos can be, you can have Ehlers-Danlos if you have defects in type one collagen, but you can also have Ehlers-Danlos with type three defects. And this is that, that uh, what I was talking about. If you remember type three collagen is in a lot of your blood vessels, right? So if you have Ehlers-Danlos and you're not able to make great uh, type three collagen, you're gonna be at super high risk of basically these huge aneurysms forming and then eventually rupturing and then subsequent death. It's a scary disease to have, um, especially with type three. Type three is like, it's the one with like some of the most devastating complications. Okay, and then type four, we haven't learned about this yet, but there's a few types. This is related to um, your uh, basement membrane not working properly, right? So it's type four is located specifically in these three components, your ears, your eyes, and your kidneys, big time, right? That's where the majority of um, the, where you're going to find heavy concentrations of type four. So when, when type four doesn't work, this is uh, like when it's defective in a disease called Alport syndrome, you're going to have kidney, um, kidney damage and kidney disease. You're going to have deafness, and then you're also going to have issues with your eyes, right? because that's where the majority of your type four collagen is, right? And this is usually an X-leak dominant. Again, it's like high yield for examination purposes. You should memorize which uh, you know diseases are autosomal dominant or X-link recessive, or in this case, X-link dominant, but just save that for down the road. That's not as important right now. I just wanna make sure that you have all the facts at your fingertips when you listen to this podcast. Um, another cause is epidermolysis bullosa. This is type four. Um, basically what happens is because you have this weak basement membrane, the skin will blister super easily and just sort of come off. It's a super painful disease. It's completely debilitating. Um, if you'd like to see pictures of it, you can Google them, uh, but there's, they, it's, a, it's a really painful disease. So the final one that I wanna talk about is um, good pasture syndrome, which is uh, basically, we haven't learned about this again, so this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but it's uh, basically you can have like autoimmune diseases where you have like these basically like things called antibodies. Hopefully you've learned about them, but if not, antibodies like are things that can signal our uh, immune system to basically attack. So if you have antibodies against your own type four collagen, you'll have a disease called good pasture syndrome, which basically will affect um, the basement membranes in two specific areas, your, your lungs and then also your kidneys, specifically the, the capillaries of your lungs and kidneys. And this presents with like kidney disease and, and lung disease. You're gonna cough up blood and have blood in your urine. And this is called good pasture syndrome. So those, those three are related to type four um, basement membrane diseases, okay? So that's it for collagen. It's a lot. We're 30 minutes into this episode. I wanna go through one last thing called elastin. So hang in there with me. This should be pretty quick. So elastin is another uh, protein that's rich in glycine, proline, and lysine. But the big difference between it and uh, collagen is that it can exist in a non-glycosylated form. If you remember, collagen, after it's hydroxylated, is glycosylated. 
well, elastin doesn't get glycosylated, or it can, but it can, but it can exist without it as well, whereas collagen is always glycosylated, okay? So once it's basically made and then, um, you know, uh, secreted from the fibroblast, it's, it's secreted, and similar to collagen, it's going to be processed outside of the um, fibroblast in the extracellular matrix, and it's going to be known as tropoelastin, just like tropocollagen, right? And until that tropocollagen formed crosslinks, it's not known as elastin, right? So once it forms crosslinks and, it's in, it, and it binds, it's then known as elastin. And the key to elastin's flexibility is that these crosslinks um, are bound basically by, uh, are created via fibrillin. So fibrillin is what binds elastin fibers to each other and it gives us, and it gives it its elasticity, okay? So there's a disease state, it's called Marfan's disease. It's a, um, it's a disease where you have a defect in fibrillin and when you have this defect in fibrillin, you're no longer able to create this increased elasticity, right? So it's going to prevent as this interesting thing. They're, they present with a classically like long Marfan syndrome. They have um, basically a Marfanoid habitus, which is where you have, you're super tall, you have scoliosis, you have long extremities. And because you're not making elasticity, um, you have like issues with your lens because the lens is super elastic. It can flatten and, and then also sort of like shorten. So it's like you have issues with sight. And then you also have um, like because it's not elastic, over time things stretch and you get this thing called mitral valve prolapse. Again, I don't expect you to know what all of this is. But the idea here that you should be taking away is that when you have issues with fibrillin, which gives elastins, it's elasticity via cross-linking different um, tropoelastin fibers, right? You get this disease called Marfan's disease, okay? It's a defect in fibrillin. So elastin is this, um, basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an elastic protein, which is needed for stretch. You're going to find it in places where you'd expect that, right? So that's going to be in your vocal cords. It's going to be in your lungs. Your lungs expand and then contract on their own. It's, it's due to their own elastic, uh, inherent elastic properties. You'll find it in skin. And then there's another interesting thing, which we haven't gone through yet, but like, Physiologically, part of the reason when your heart pumps, it actually expands your aorta. And then as the heart relaxes, that expansion in general, uh, I guess like since the aorta has this already elastic component, it sort of comes back down on that blood. And that's how you maintain your blood pressure. So you're going to see this a lot in large arteries, which is why with Marfan's disease, you have an increased risk of aortic aneurysm as well because it stretches, but it doesn't have that natural elasticity. So over time, it's just going to dilate and continue to dilate. We'll talk about that another time. Don't stress about it too much. So the one thing I want to talk about is another disease, and it has to do with basically the breaking down of elastin, okay? So um, elastin can be broken down via this enzyme called elastase, okay? But when um, you don't want to break down elastin, it gets inhibited by this uh, protein called alpha-1 antitrypsin, okay? And alpha-1 antitrypsin breaks down proteases, right? So it's going to inhibit elastase, which is a protease. It break, elastase breaks down elastin, which is a protein, so it's a protease. And alpha-1 antitrypsin inhibits that elastase. Well, 
when you um, basically have this alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, this is the disease, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, you're going to have an overwhelming uh, amount of elastase that's not getting broken down, and it's going to overbreak in that because you have too much elastase, you're going to break down too much elastin, and you're going to lose that elasticity of your um, elastin, specifically in the lungs. And the, and the the pathophysiology of this, I don't want to get too much into, but I just want you to have the, an idea that basically what this disease is and how it happens, okay? It happens because alpha-1 antitrypsin is deficient, then it's not breaking, it's not inhibiting elastase, so elastase breaks down too much elastin, and then downstream um, organs that rely on a lot of uh, um, uh, elastase end up getting damaged, specifically the lungs, okay? The reason why it's lungs, and without getting too much into it, is the liver is the main producer of your alpha-1 antitrypsin, right? So a lot of blood from the liver heads directly to the lungs, right? So the first place that's going to be damaged by elastase because without this alpha-1 antitrypsin is going to be the lungs. And that's sort of why it's, it happens there, but I don't want to get too much into that. So that is uh, the end of this lecture. It went a little bit longer podcast. It went a little bit long. I'm sorry for that, but it's super thorough. I think if you listen to this, you'll be super happy with it. In the next episode, what I hope to do is to go over um, cell adhesion. So we've talked about the extracellular matrix now, and I've talked about the components of the extracellular matrix and how they're made and disease states that are associated with dysfunction with the extracellular matrix. Well, now I want to talk about how the cell connects to the extracellular matrix and actually maintains its position via those connections. So we'll get into that next time. That's going to be episode number, I believe, um, 15. So we'll see you there.